And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. It is Tuesday, July 19th, and we are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com. Glad to have all of you with us. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey. And um, YouTube, we are just one subscriber away from 2100. I mean, we're right there on the cusp. Right there on the cusp, folks. So uh, you can, you know, share, tell your friends, say, hey, go check this channel out. Uh, also, we are available on a number of different podcast platforms. In addition to being live, those of you who are with us live, you can jump in the chat and uh, share your thoughts. Of course, if you're not with us live, you can always join uh, and leave your comments. And uh, we've got an email address live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. And this this music track, I gotta say, um, I, I, I don't know if maybe it's a little bit of false advertising here uh, because the title of this track is Money Talk Instrumental. And I, I don't know, Dan Danford, uh, does this <laughs> does this music track make you think of money? Yeah, not so much. Maybe uh, Pink Floyd money or uh, any number of others, but not necessarily you know, that. I hadn't actually thought about Pink Floyd. That that actually makes a little bit of sense. Um, <laughs> I, I thought of other things, you know, money related, but nothing legal. Uh, yep. It just, yep. I don't know. It just seems like this uh, this music track is a little bit of a, uh, a mislabeled, I guess you could say, but... Uh, you know, it is what it is. So they had to name it something. So they probably looked at a headline on the newspaper <laughs> or something. Uh, I tell you. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's the the perception of the thing becomes the reality of the thing, and maybe they want the perception Indeed. to be a certain thing. I don't know. We'll see. I don't Indeed. Know. So. Indeed. Uh, I, I let's introduce Dan Danford, who is the CEO of the Family Investment Center here in the Kansas City area. He is a, a financial advisor, broker, and whatnot. So uh, he's here with us for the hour. And Matt Stevens is bouncing around somewhere in the ethosphere because he did ping in, and uh, he's out there somewhere. So, um, so at some point, uh, he will pop in here. He's been having some technical issues. Uh, with his computer, so we might we might have a little hit and miss there with Matt. But uh, as soon as he jumps in, we jump in. So Dan, how you been? I you've you've been out traveling uh, traveling the country, yeah. and you settled back in now. Well, I'm still in uh, Colorado, but uh, working at least part of the time. Uh, it's one of those work from home vacation uh, events. And I'll probably be here for another week or so. So, uh, you know, 
get out into the mountains once in a while, rode my motorcycle for a while, uh, just doing fun things uh, in addition to keeping up with uh, work and finances and investments. You know, I, I don't know why it is, but somehow I just don't see you on a motorcycle. I don't know why that is, but and yeah. All, all the more reason why I need to have one, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. Let us uh, let us switch here. Matthew. Hopefully, I see him. Hopefully I see his name. He's anyway. coming. He's coming. It's it's coming. <clears throat> Maybe. There he there is. is. Hey, right, guys. Matthew Stevens joins us. Uh, we've we've just gotten started. You haven't missed anything. Okay. Well, yeah, I've been. Uh, you you missed a lot of frustration on my uh, Zoom. <laughs> Actually, I think I need to okay. reload my entire computer or Get, throw it away. Given so. given how many different towers I have gone through in the last four years, yeah, and sure. how many laptops have died here, I think uh, I think I can I can sympathize just a little bit. I think I'm going to uh, set up uh, so to do this on a laptop that I can yeah. make it a little more portable. Yeah. So That's... yeah, so we I use do we use docking stations and laptops. And basically, we've moved our entire office to docking stations so that anybody can work from any office. Uh -huh. So yeah. if we have things jammed up and stuff, you just take your computer and plug it in, and you're up and ready to run. And then um, I've got you know, a home in the Kansas City area and a home in the Colorado area, and it works great. I just carry my laptop with me wherever I go. I'll have to talk to you about some hardware to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always on site, and I, have, I come back here at and I didn't yeah. get to do any research today because I was spent the last three hours trying to get this uh, up and running, uh, and it took a while, yeah. and it, I failed. But well, we're glad to, glad to see you. Okay. <laughs> well, and and you talk about docking stations. I suppose maybe I should get one for this little laptop down here, so we can talk to everything else. But oh yeah, at some point I'm just like, well, how many how many screens are too many? Oh, looking at your seem... setup, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you can have too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've got you know. Uh, I think I think I'm, I still need maybe one more uh, that's actually connected to the tower. But I tried to do that the other day so Mindy could watch the feed for Saturday morning show, and it didn't talk to the to that screen. So I may have maxed out my card. Maybe I don't know. It's got slots for six, but. It doesn't seem to want to handle five, so we'll see. Anyway, so, all right, let let's start uh, with this uh, this story that I think is probably not going to go the way we would hope it would go. This is a headline from the Daily Caller: Google offers to break up to prevent antitrust lawsuit. I don't know if y'all had seen any of this. But I guess Google is trying to do some damage control. Um, yeah. This is, uh, when was this? July 8th, and it's been a while since we've had any kind of conversations here. Google has offered to break apart in a bid to avoid greater punishment for antitrust violations from federal regulators, Wall Street Journal reported Friday. The tech giant has raised the prospect of separating a major business operation off from Google, the auctioning and placing of online advertisements to form a separate entity, 
Also under the umbrella of Google's parent company, Alphabet, people close to Google reportedly told the Wall Street Journal. So it sounds like they're talking about breaking off Google ads from wherever it is now. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, any time a company gets to be that big and also controls a, a huge part of the marketplace, um, that's when the government starts looking at antitrust type things. And uh, the companies that are aware um, ought to be proactive in that regard. So uh, if, if I'm running a company and I suspect somebody's going to come try to impose something on me or somebody's going to want to approach me with something, um, I would rather be prepared in advance rather than responding to what they've got. So probably what they're doing is strategic planning and stuff on the inside, and they'll then step up to the regulators, whoever they are, probably the SEC or Federal Trade Commission, FTC, mm -hmm. and they'll say, hey, we've been looking at this, and these are the things we're thinking about. And hopefully they'll, from their perspective, hopefully they'll be able to control the narrative of them going forward on that is what they're trying to do would be my guess. They should have probably taken the Amazon approach, which is just to buy a major Washington, D.C. newspaper. newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> but right. Google has such control over the news cycle. Right. I would think that uh, that they would have way more control. But I mean, if any, if there's a monopoly at, at foot, it's Amazon. Uh, I, I'm, I can't believe there's not more discussion about breaking them up. Well, and I, I have to wonder if if somewhere somebody has has mentioned that has brought that up in a discussion because you it's, almost it's, you almost have to you know look at one when you look at all the rest of them you know it's not not just google not just amazon but also facebook or meta whatever that is and mm -hmm. and and the the various different ones you know yes we've got twitter and and elon musk going at it with each other but at what point is is a company too big? I mean, look at look at how much the Walt Disney Company owns, for example. I don't, yeah, I don't think they don't, I don't think they look at it in terms of big. I think they look at it in terms of market share. And if one company dominates kind of the industry, then that kind of holds out competition, and that's what they don't like. So, um, and you know, these are all every single one of those you mentioned are industries that they created for themselves in a sense, you know, so they do dominate their industries. It would be very hard for somebody to come in and, I mean, you just the capital required to get in there and compete uh, effectively, which is why the FTC steps in. Yeah. You know, they, they, they want to foster competition and they don't want anything that keeps competition out. How, how much, is driven by well, I don't want. Eh, it's not really a, a good question. I was going to say how much is driven by guilt. They know they know they're in the wrong. Well, they know that they know they're in the uh, in, in the crosshairs is what they know. Yeah. They, they 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 probably don't. They, they probably would not concede that they are wrong, but they do know that uh, there's a target on their back. I would think. Yeah. Is is this enough? to to get that monkey off their back in particular is this enough to sit there and say because according to this 
you know, Department of Justice declined to comment on the story, so there's no there's no telling what they're thinking as far as is this enough to uh, is this enough to justify you know dropping the investigation and we don't uh, we don't sit and watch, but it 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 seems here that well it says here Jonathan Cantor the DOJ's let me get this up here DOJ's uh, antitrust chief has a public track record of preferring court opinions to settlements as they establish precedent and clarify and advance the legal code. So does this have an impact on, say, Section 230, for example? Does, does that come into play here? Or is that, you know, we're, we're going to use a court... Of course, we've all seen how the public reacts to courts deciding precedent, right? So does that does that work in in favor of the government to to pursue this strategy? It will probably keep a percentage of the public happy. I I don't know that too many people are very upset by the Google uh, Google monopoly, but uh, I'm I'm really much more upset by Amazon, even though I do use it. But they put a lot of local businesses out of business. Uh, as far as Google Google goes, I mean, we don't buy our ads directly from them. I don't know how much they influence what we purchase. Uh, I'm a little more concerned about what we read on the news cycle because of them. Yeah, the news cycle, of course, is is here's what we want you to think. Here's what we want you to know. Not necessarily here's the truth of the matter. Does it? Yeah, and that and that would get into Section 230. I mean, no. that's that's what 230 is all about is an exemption there. Um, but you know, all of this, like I said earlier, I think is Google trying to position themselves uh, for whatever comes from the DOJ or the FTC or whoever. I mean, you just want you you would rather control the narrative than have the government control the narrative, right? And so uh, they're just trying to get a step ahead, I think, would be my guess. Well, and it's not only the U.S. Department of Justice. It says here the the company also faces two ongoing probes in Europe on similar antitrust allegations, according to the New York Post. It says here, last year, Google's selling of ads on other websites and apps accounted for $31.7 billion of revenue, roughly 12% of Alphabet's total. That's... That's a good amount of scratch there. Yeah. It's a big market share. Yeah. And Europe, in some ways, is more aggressive. I read a, a, a story in the last uh, week. I'm pretty sure it was Fender, but I'm not promising that. The guitar maker, mm-hmm. uh, that the United Kingdom has uh, filed anti-trade uh, against them uh, for not allowing uh, retailers the opportunity to negotiate prices. So basically what they've said is, is if you make these guitars and you put them out there, but you don't let people compete, then that's taking advantage. It's like a clear, uh, a class action suit where, you know, people probably would have been able to buy whatever guitar it was for a lower price if they had truly been allowed to compete. So, I mean, in Europe, in Great Britain, in other places, these kinds of issues probably get more attention faster than they do in the United States. Mm-hmm. At what point does you talk about market share earlier in terms of a monopoly? What's the threshold there? What's that? What's that mark at which somebody sits there and goes, "Hang on, you're getting too big yeah. now." I don't think there's a. 
I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. I, I mean, I think that the courts interpret all, well, first of all, the uh, regulators interpret it as they think, and then the court will ultimately make a decision based on what they think. But I would think anytime you've got somebody with over half the market, it, it brings that into play. And they would argue in some cases that, you know, uh, companies with 20% of market share, 30% of market share can dominate the market. And then you can also get into the issues like collusion, where you have two or three big players and, and they dominate the market. And if there's any, uh, like I, I'm, on a, I'm on a national board for financial planners and advisors, and there are several other uh, groups. And we, we are allowed to have uh, meetings where we um, can discuss issues and things between us. But there is a, a, an ample and robust disclosure that everybody signs off on before you even start talking, saying we are not going to talk about these kinds of issues because they might lead somebody to conclude we're trying to control the market in some fashion. Right. So, I mean, th there, are, there are court opinions and precedents and things uh, that play into all these. But I think, again, you know, Google, th there's no question that they dominate the market space they're in. So their question is, how do you keep the regulators happy? Well, and we saw the, the discussion of collusion came up with regard to what happened to Parler. Where you know you have you have Twitter and you have Meta and you have Amazon Web Services and all these different ones all kind of coordinating behind the scenes to deny yeah. Parler a place at the table. But but the flip side of this, let's say okay, let's say Google sits there and said okay, we're gonna we're gonna sell off, we're gonna break off AdSense from the company, but it's still going to be a division of Alphabet. So how does this change anything? This seems really symbolic more than anything else, because if Alphabet is still going to own Google AdSense, it doesn't change anything very much, I don't think. I mean, it's just a, a, a difference in the paperwork. Well, they, you know, they once spun off AT&T and broke them all into all the separate companies. Ultimately, they would have their own president, their own boards, possibly their own stock. So it, it would be somewhat different, and I bet they could put up a, a paper wall so that they are, are really ran differently, and eventually they truly would be different. I doubt that uh, you know, the founders are going to be significant shareholders, or at least I, they would not. I that would defeat the whole purpose. If they were had large blocks of voting stock. So could they do that with other divisions, like say YouTube? Could they could they break off yeah, YouTube yes, into its sure. own thing? Since YouTube started sure. off as its yeah. as its own thing before. Yeah. yeah well, and every be. time there's an acquisition like that, it, it requires FTC approval. You know, so when they bought YouTube, you know that had to be run by the regulators in some fashion. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at that point, it had some kind of permissions. But, you know, as the company then continues to grow, you know, that is it more monopolistic? And that's, you know, that's that's the big question. They purchased YouTube for, I believe, one billion dollars. Yeah. Can you imagine what they could spin it off for now? And, uh, well, you and know, really given the, the given the reputation that YouTube currently enjoys <clears throat> and I use that term loosely, I wonder if they if if they might have uh, more of a of an inflated sense of the value than what it's actually worth. 
because there are a lot of people that are irritated with how YouTube shenanigans have been damaging their channels. Uh, I mean, we've yeah. seen a little bit of that effect here. And now with the emphasis on YouTube shorts in order to try to be a new, you know, a, a competitor to TikTok, that seems to be the driving thing now for channel growth. If you want if you want your channel to grow, you got to do these 60 second short videos. And and now you have to completely rethink your strategy on everything. You're setting up second channels because the algorithm doesn't like a hybrid between live channels, you know, live video and upload video. So you got to do one or the other, not both, because the algorithm doesn't know what to do with you. So now you have all of these channels setting up second channels. And now you've got to do this shorts thing. We already had to deal with changing how we upload and how we live stream because of all of the differences, you know, that they put into place over COPPA a couple of years ago with the kids programming. It's just one thing after another after another. And finally, you get to the point where all these smaller creators, if they're not big corporations like Disney or, or Comcast right. or anything, just throw up your hands and say, I'm done. I'm not going to do anything on YouTube anymore. And your, your creator base starts to atrophy at that point. So I, I just don't know. And, 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 you know, with AdSense, you've got all of these, you know, browsers with ad blockers and and you know people are are streamlining their online activity to to not have ads go i'm i don't know could they get what their asking price is well one one of the areas that youtube is growing in is providing tv channels i know youtube tv is quite a quite a force it's uh, we basically replaced Google Fiber with YouTube TV at mm -hmm. home, not really by choice, but it's it's a relatively good product. So I don't know. I haven't seen the financials on it, but it's well. And that's the that's the other thing that Jason. Everything that you say is true about maybe the uh, dissatisfaction among uh, the creative groups and that kind of thing. But let me tell you, Google has access to analytics that, you know, we're not looking at and we don't have a clue about. Oh, yeah. And the one thing that happens is, you know, these big corporations and stuff, they may do a lot of really bad things, but the good things they do is they know how to make money, you know? So they, they find, so the fact that we have a bunch of upset people, those may not be the people that were generating the revenues anyway. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was surprised. I looked at the story yesterday from Disney, and, you know, we've spent hours talking about the Disney Corporation on this program in the last couple of months. Uh, but they announced record uh, ad revenues for the coming year. Their pre-sold ads are $9 billion mm. for 2022-2023. It's the highest number it's ever been. The next closest, I think, is NBC at like $7 billion. And it just goes to show that even with all the discord and all the controversy and all that kind of stuff, advertisers are willing to step up and commit to advertising for the Disney products. It's pretty amazing. It kind of makes you wonder if Bob Chapek might might know what he's doing a little bit. Maybe, exactly. Right? It, it, we've seen all kinds of things that he doesn't, and you know all the all the upset within the organization and outside of the organization, and yet you know then you get numbers like these, and of course this doesn't tell you everything, yeah. but it tells you by one one measure, um, p 
people don't seem as upset as we might think they are. Well, and I saw something the other day, and I can't, I, I don't have my, my hands on it right, right this instant, but uh, it was, I want to say it was a, an article from Nielsen, uh, or it might have been, it might have been National Association of Broadcasters on, in their newsletter talking about um, basically putting forth a position, don't count regular terrestrial television out in your ad mix because people seem to be dialing back in to your local TV channels and your, and your network television, ABC, NBC, and that sort of thing. And advertisers are still putting their money into regular television, not just not just cable, not just streaming or anything like that. So I, 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 I wonder if the landscape is shifting just a little bit because the streaming services especially, you know, at, at the beginning of all of this, there were a number of us that were sitting there saying, it's going to be like cable. Eventually, you're going to start getting bundling, and there's going to be too many of them, and there's going to be this proliferation of channels, and you're going to have to start deciding which ones you want to spend your money on because you can't have all of them or you don't want all of them. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that where yeah. things are starting to coalesce a little bit. And on top of that, you have the economy doing what it's doing and yeah. that doesn't seem to be working out very well for some of these so uh, i want to get into that when we get back because the dreaded r word has come up and we're going to talk about that when we get back talking money here with uh, dan danford matt stevens we'll be back right after this don't go anywhere our transmitters are made from hand wavium this is sci-fi for me radio Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here, inviting you to join us every Saturday morning for news. The week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic books, video games, plus Comic-Con updates and the weather, and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope to join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, along with uh, our program observer behind us here. Hello there. Uh, so, um, Melody is one of the, one of the people learn, learning to get into podcasting because she's, uh, she was, she was working with a, another friend of ours, um, yeah, Lanita, Lanita Cook, who has been a contributor on this program before. So good to, good to have all of you with us here in the chat. Dave says, greetings, program of so we're here with Dan Danford, Matt Stevens, talking about money. This music doesn't speak to me about money either, but you know, it is it is what it is. Okay, so let me let me get into this article. Culture Casino talked about this here a couple of weeks ago. Article in Variety in their VIP section. A recession could send media layoffs surging. Bum bum bum. I don't have that. I I. I think I do have that 
sounder somewhere. Um, this is from July 1st. With the slew of recent gloomy economic data, many see an economic recession on the horizon. I would argue that it's already here. And if history is any indication, the media sector could see a big surge in layoffs as a result. Not to get too deep in the weeds in this article, but I think this one this one was probably a little a little prescient because look here we've got this whole slew of articles. New York Times, Substack laying off 14% of its staff. Uh, this is Sports Business Journal. Esports media outlets see more layoffs as long-term viability dies down. This goes back to what I was talking about. You know, streaming becomes like cable, and, and people aren't going to buy all of them. You've got. Uh, this uh, this site, intellizence.com, has got a list of all sorts of different tech companies that have that have laid off in the in the last you know, six months or so. Netflix, we talked about them laying off 300 people. But at the same time, Netflix wants to get some sort of a franchise like Star Wars or Harry Potter that's theirs. They want to come up with some kind of an IP that they own that they can turn into the next big, huge thing. I'm not exactly sure that that's the best strategy for Netflix at this point because they can't seem to be, you know, they can't, they, they, they don't seem to want to spend money on series past two or three seasons to begin with. You know, you're talking about a franchise. You're talking about a long-term investment in something that might or might not pay off because if it hits it big, sure, great. Next Star Wars, next Harry Potter, you make billions of dollars. But if it doesn't, or if, like Marvel, it starts to fizzle at some point, what do you do with that? Because you can't just, you can't just sell it. <clears throat> we learned that, you know, George Lucas learned that the hard way, I think. Uh, iHeartMedia cuts continue. This is Radio Insight Magazine. TikTok starts layoffs in company-wide restructuring. Now, there is an outlier... This is a story from the New York Post from July 14th. So this is very recent. It's a headline here. Twitter says it's not planning major layoffs during restructuring. And I thought it was interesting how this gets characterized because I wasn't aware that Twitter was restructuring. I thought <laughs> Twitter is in the middle of getting, you know, a hostile takeover and they're suing the guy to force him to do the hostile takeover. I was Hang on, this the Twitter thing is just such a weird, dumb, odd, strange and wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, it's just, what do you do with that? I wonder if how many people might have quit in anticipation of working for Elon. Probably quite a few, so that could be why they don't have to do layoffs. I'm sure nobody, I'm sure they haven't done any hiring the last few months. <laughs> the story, The story that just keeps on giving, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't know. I mean, well, what what did are we in a recession yet? Uh, I think so. That the I, officially I you have to have two quarters in a row with negative GDP and uh we had one and uh, most of the um observational um measures lead us to think that we probably are. I don't think that's official yet because I don't think they've released the numbers yet, but uh it, it, it does seem that the economy has slowed down. I think the recent decline in crude oil prices was probably related to a slower economy. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, like a lot of uh, media hype, um, 
you know, it's overstated what a recession actually does. I mean, it's not like blood in the streets, typically. Um, not it is yet, a moment. Anyway. <laughs> well, well, it can get that bad. I mean, if it really gets that bad, but most come and go uh, within like a year's time, probably. And the, 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 the effect for most people is fairly mild. Um, it, it is an opportunity for businesses to um, kind of rethink or restructure. Right. I mean, when, when things slow down, that's, that gives you the excuse to get rid of that division that wasn't producing the way you wanted to or to lay people off that, you, that you've been thinking about anyway. So, and, and for that reason, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, companies that survive, which probably will be most in a mild recession, typically come out of the recession stronger than they went into the recession. So I, I, I'm not I, – I, I think the average person – hears that and it sort of frightens them and puts them into a panic mode. I'm not sure that's warranted at this point. Does it seem like maybe that might be part of Bob Chapek's strategy with Disney? We're going to fire a bunch of people because they're troublemakers? Because I saw, I, I caught a thing the, uh, this morning, I think. Uh, ThatParkPlace.com has a report that their chief diversity officer was not allowed to give an interview uh, that was profiling her and and her division. Her, you know, the you know, she's the one that's in charge of this whole reimagine tomorrow crap right. that's coming yeah. out of there, <laughs> and she wasn't yeah. allowed to give an interview. And I thought that's rather telling because she's pretty high up on the on the food chain there, and for her to get snapped back, I mean. She's at the level where if you go any higher, you're either in Chapek's office or you're talking to the board. So somebody there said, "No, ain't gonna happen. You, you, you sit down. You sit down and 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 keep to yourself. Tend to your knitting." I would have done that to her a long time ago. She doesn't seem to have much of a filter. So. Well, and it, yeah. and it and it raises the question because you see, you know, we've seen in the comic book industry, for example, Ethan Van Ethan Van Skyver was one of the first people to talk about this ESG stuff. You know, the 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 idea of the government giving the, giving companies money to promote this equity diversity. stuff you know what some critics are calling the woke culture and and here we got an opinion piece in the wall street journal andy kessler the many reasons esg is a loser which basically says this is going to end up costing you money in the long run and we saw this with gillette you know gillette comes out with this with this advocate this advertising campaign against toxic masculinity and people stop buying mm -hmm. their product you know, yeah, Disney and and Marvel and DC and all of these companies are sitting there going, well, you know, diversity and and equity, and we saw what happened with all of those videos that came out when when Christopher Rufo leaked them out. You know, our our not so secret gay agenda, and then coming out on the on the Florida stuff, and just just one example after another. You know, Lucasfilm preemptively basically saying anybody that doesn't like Kenobi, that doesn't like Reva, they're 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 going to be racist, even before the show ever came out. I, and I think there's something to this where if the government is giving you money to do a certain program, we see this in the education system. You know, we're going to give you money, but you you know there are strings attached to this stuff, and. 
if Kessler's right and this is a bad idea, you know, from a from a corporate standpoint, yeah, you're going to take this ESG money, but then you're going to end up losing in the long run because your customers are going to go away. Is there something to this? Yeah, ESG is not about making money, ever. I mean, it's uh, about promoting an agenda for the for the powers that be. No. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't know. I cannot believe they've assigned the SEC to who I thought was supposed to make sure that firms did not steal money from the public. Now they're supposed to count carbon atoms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not what they're supposed to do. I want, when I invest in a company, I'm trusting the management to try and make money. Yeah. And I think, and, and the same thing with banks, you know, we're starting to see now that the FDIC and the federal uh, reserve and, uh, you know, all the people that control banks, uh, the ESG language is all uh, slipping in there too. Um, it, it reminds me for a long time, there's been kind of a group of, uh, that, that has favored, um, social constructions uh, in regard to, to, to investment selection. You know, like there's a group of people out there that for decades now have had investment portfolios but wouldn't own any tobacco stocks or wouldn't own any alcohol stocks or any weapons mm. stocks, you know. Right. And, and most of, and you know, so the one side of it is, is that's fine, you don't have to. Most of the research showed that you know, when you took those things out, you actually enjoyed lower returns on your investments. Now, for some people, that's not a big deal, I guess, you know, but it, it does matter. You know, how much am I giving up? You know, it's OK to say, well, I don't mind if I give up a little, but I may not want to give up a lot. And then now you get these even more um, social constructs where, you know, it has to do with how many women you have on your board. And it has to do with uh, whether you're, you know, not equality, but equity based and all the, you know, all these kinds of issues. And they aren't easy to quantify, number one, but they are also coming into, I mean, the SEC is, is looking at those things now. So um, it used to be if, as long as something was legal, you could sell stock in it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. as long as the, their operation is oh. legal, the product's legal and all that kind of thing. And the charge was really to make the most money in the business that you were in. When you take away from that to whatever degree, you know, potentially the investor suffers. And I know that there are worlds of people who don't care whether the investments, the investor suffers. Yeah. But my experience has been that the non-investors care the least. Well, and, and I would say that the investors probably care. I mean, Cam, Cam makes a good point. ESG is predatory at activism on the back of investors because ultimately they're the ones, the shareholders, the investors, they're the ones that suffer for this because, you know, like we're seeing with, you know, the Disney stock or, or Alphabet or whatever, whatever stock is out there that's affected by whatever policy the company comes out. I mean, look at what happened with Twitter. You know, Twitter is sitting there saying, well, we don't want to sell. And pe people start talking about the fiduciary responsibility that they have. And so they agree to sell. And now, you know, Elon's like, well, you know, some of this some of this data looks a little hinky. I think we're going to back out. So now they're suing. Well, all of this now is going to come out in discovery. How many how much percentage of your traffic actually is real and how much is A.I.? And, you know, it, it seems like Twitter just stepped into a bear trap here. And I who pays? Who, yeah, who pays for all that litigation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Matt. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think they're going to be very sorry that they're going to try and force the issue. Because <laughs> uh, there's going to be disclosure, and they're going to have to sign off on it. Yeah. Someone, yeah. Somebody could go to jail if, if, they, uh, if they're inaccurate on it. And Elon will probably have the resources to make sure that they get the attention it kind of, uh, or it kind of makes you might go after him. Yeah, well, it kind of makes you start to think. Well, maybe, maybe taking a hard line politically or ideologically is not necessarily a good idea. You know, if you sit there and say, "Okay, we're just going to sell a widget. We don't care if you're a red widget fan or a blue widget fan, or you're you're you like widgets in in all the different rainbow colors or whatever. We're just going to sell you a widget." We, we don't care how you vote. We don't care if you own a gun. We don't care who you're married to or who you sleep with. Just Here's a widget. You need a widget? Here's a widget. It's, a, we, it's the best widget we can make. Here's the price. And you look at something. Well, I mean, even, even promote it as a non-ESG, non-woke, non-socially conscious widget, and it might do okay. I mean, Eric, Eric July last Monday launched his new comic book company, The Ripiverse. This is his first comic book, Isom Number 1. And in 30 hours, he was at $1 million in his campaign. Today, over, just over a week, he's at $2.6 million. He's got 66 days to go on this thing. I see this thing hitting at least $3 million by the end of the week. And he's promoting this as a non-woke comic book. This is something that's going to be story. But see, the thing about it is, though, he's already taken hits from the usual suspects because mm -hmm. he's black, but he's a libertarian. And he's <laughs> doing exactly what all of these people have said. You know, he's got a, you know, representation, right? An identity. He's got a black superhero as the lead character in this brand new comic book. He's a black entrepreneur. But because he's a libertarian... He's an Uncle Tom because, you know, you get the usual racist comments that come after this kid. And he's I mean, he's been on YouTube for 15 years. He's done he's done some work with Blaze TV. Everybody has covered this stuff. New York Post has covered this story. What uh, um, Fox News. And because of all of that, well, it's it's, it's not legitimate. It's not legitimate success. This is two point six million dollars in his pocket. And he's not going through Kickstarter. He's not going through Indiegogo, which means he doesn't have to pay processing fees. This is his, his money. So is there, yeah. is there some value in sitting there saying, our product is not woke? If you actively campaign and say, we're not oh. doing this ESG social, social engineering stuff by our I think there's, I think there's a great deal of value in that. Uh, look at one of the... I, I thought a uniquely non-woke movie recently was Top Gun. Yeah, they, yes. uh It was just a just a good story. It had a it was there was some diversity in it, but it was all probably pretty much like the real world. And it was organic. Were, it was a yeah. It was, it was just a it was a, just a good story trying to you know ad, adventure and good I, cowboy stuff and. I thought it was a nice touch that Tom Cruise came out. You know, you've got a you've got a clip at the beginning. He sits there and says, mm -hmm. "Thank yeah. you for being here. Thank you for being yeah, our yeah. customer and doing business I it was with great us." Too. I expect him to do the same thing on Mission Impossible. Frankly, I think he'll do that. 
but yeah, uh, I, uh, but, uh, but that just proves, I mean, what Matt is talking about is absolutely, you know, the proof's in the pudding. It's the product that matters. So going back to your comic book guy, well, you know, I'm not knocking two or $3 million, but <laughs> you know, two or $3 million isn't a lot of money in the business world today. It may not Whether be, Whether or not he can, no, no. In the context if, of the comic book industry, this is, it may this be. is a big, this is a big deal. No, no, no. Yeah. I get that. What, what I'm saying, though, is getting that up front is not the same as sustaining over a period of time. And if True. he can keep producing product that, you know, the storyline's good, people like reading it and that kind of stuff, that's just a drop in the bucket to what he may make going forward over the next 10 or 15 years. So, but he has to produce. Yeah. If he doesn't produce, it won't matter. That's the thing. Well, and the books, the books are done. They start shipping in August. I mean, he had all of this set up before he even set up the store. And started, Good for him. And some of this is T-shirt sales. Some of this is just, I'm going to give you money. I don't have to have a product. There's donation. I would be interested to see what the breakdown is between those. Mm-hmm. But you're right. And and that is that is one of those things that people say, well, it's not sustainable. And he might it not might make be. he might not make three or five million or whatever on his second book, but his second book may not be a thirty five dollar ninety five page book either. He could he could do a thirty a thirty page issue, or he could do forty pages, or he could do sixty pages. It doesn't have to be ninety six pages every single time. I mean, he's making a big splash coming out of the gate, and you know. W- this is we'll start off big and we hit the ground running and then maybe we temper expectations here. The next issue is going to be 30. You know, we'll have we'll have multiple things that roll out. And then at some point, I imagine he's probably going to do some kind of a team up, because if you follow the original Marvel strategy where you had the solo films for Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and all of that. And then suddenly you've got the Avengers movie, you know, that there's this build there's a there's right. a slow burn to this. So, you know, strategy wise, I could I could see him doing that. He launches Isom, he launches the next solo thing, the next solo thing, the next solo thing, and then here's the team. And that's that's what business is all about, is the sustainability of the business model. Yeah. It it's converting that idea into cash flow in some fashion. And uh going forward, like any other entrepreneur probably have to adjust the product mix you may have to adjust the pricing you may have to but that's what running a business is about yeah. and i'm making whether it's widgets or comic books that's what it is it's the ongoing activity that generates ongoing revenues it's all about producing a good product it is yeah. at, a, at a good price point yeah that and, people perceive as value it and, is. and beauty is in the eye of the beholder i mean it it, there could be there could be people out there that sit there and they buy this book and they read it and they go eh, okay not for me but you give right. it you give it a shot and you try this widget and the widget doesn't work for you exactly to meet your needs so you go looking for another widget the, the un- idea of the competition though i think has has value in and of itself yes is he raising money on a platform where he could be shut down I mean, no, he, he built he built his own store. It's a WordPress platform on his own site. Okay. So it's all internal. He controls okay. it and, and all of the processing is handled in-house, which I think okay. is a smart move. I mean, Indiegogo can't oh, touch yeah. him. Amazon Web Services can't touch him. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Kickstarter can't shut him down. You know, none of that stuff. OK, so Good. 
But it is in what your earlier question about can anti woke stuff, you know, does it have a place? Certainly has a place in a niche market of some sort, and it will. The question is, is there a broader market for it? You know, and that's what we don't know. And I don't think anybody knows now, but nothing succeeds like success. That's what my mm -hmm. father taught me many, many years ago. Yeah. And you show, uh, you, you, you know, you show some successes and people want to get on board. And uh, so who knows? I mean, he could be, he could be the next Amazon. You just, I mean, mm -hmm. it's hard to, you just don't know at this point, but he's, it sounds like he's doing things right. And I think it's cool. Good for him. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, a question from the program observer: What's wrong with woke? <clears throat> that's a that's Nothing a whole, that's a whole well, week I, of programs right there. Yeah, right there. yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's probably like any other philosophy. You're going to have people who, uh, who who love it, and you have people who don't love it or or hate it, and most people probably fall somewhere in between. I mean. On the extreme. But anytime you take a position, I don't care whether it's a, a wildly popular position or a wildly unpopular position, you narrow your market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there, yeah. there are some people who don't come along because of that position. And uh, so uh, a lot of these companies, like when Disney starts talking, you know, we're going to be the wokest of wokes, they're, t they're alienating a group of people. Whether you it's know, millions or, or tens of millions, we don't know. Yeah. But there is a group of people that they're walking away from. I think for me, uh, you know, the the question of not necessarily the what's what's been, become known as woke ideologically or or even even theologically, because this this does get. You know, some people looking okay. at it as yeah. if it's a religion because of the of the of the uh, rabid uh, belief system that some of these people have. It's more the activist branches of this stuff that I think turns a lot of people off. If we're sitting there because it's the pandering, you know, we see this, you know, Pride Month. Everybody puts the rainbow in their logo for the month. And then July 1st, it's gone. Poof. And it's the, you know, we want to cater to this very, 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 very small percentage of the population because we we don't want to look bad. It's all a reputational thing more than it is a business transaction. And marketing, okay, fine, you're going to market to various different people in different in different niche markets or whatnot. But if your product is not a niche product for that market. I don't see the value of marketing specifically to a niche. You want to market to the masses. Hey, I've got a widget. Buy my widget. And people are sitting there going, well, if you don't buy my widget, you're a sexist. If you don't buy my widget, you're a homophobe. You're a racist. You're a Nazi. You're a, you're a, a fill in the blank. And it's that part of the philosophical discussion, debate, shouting matches that I think turn people off. You say, look... I don't care if, if you if you want to, you know, I don't care who you sleep with. You you tell me I don't I don't buy your product that makes me a racist, that makes me a sexist. I mean, Elizabeth Banks did that with the, the latest Charlie's Angels movie. Well, nobody went and saw it because they're all sexist. Well, no, nobody went and saw it because it was a garbage movie. And we knew it was a garbage movie going into it. And the, and the feedback was such, and we saw this with Lightyear. It's a bad film. Nobody goes to see it because the word of mouth is, it's, 
you know, it's garbage craft. Yeah, it just it films with focus on story and excitement and not um, most of the books that is very predictable. I mean, you see the character and you, you kind of know what's going to happen, and, and, and like a lot of drama, but it's uniquely predictable, I think, when they're going to make a woke point. And I just think, you know, um, again, to be sustainable, you have to have good product and, and not all of it's good product. And you can't take something bad and make it good by sticking woke stickers on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it's not quite art yet. Not quite. Not quite our standards yet. Uh, well, here, let me. Sorry. No, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. No, it's okay. You're, you're a pro. Okay, so so say say that a little bit louder. So Melody Melody's got a got an interesting point. So let me uh, <laughs> let me you can see that. Let me let me just throw that over there okay. and get closer. All right. So hey, so I I thank you for letting me um, drop in here and <laughs> and say something. I so I was listening to your points and I understand what you're saying and I think right now one of the frustrations that a lot of people feel with maybe um, kind of the the new woke art that's being produced is that uh, a lot of people will say oh but it's you know it's crap or it's not up to our standards or they don't follow a specific um, criteria that we're used to um, and therefore I, either I don't understand it I don't like it I, I just don't think it's very well done that kind of thing but I think that maybe we're in a transition uh, of evolution of the art form and I think we'll see better and better stuff but it of course evolution takes time and um, and I understand what you mean about people jumping to conclusions. Well, if you don't like this film, you're sexist or racist or, um, and you, you, of course there are some people out there like that, but I think the vast majority of people experience the, they, they have a particular point of view according to their own set of values and experiences from, you know, their childhood and their parents' childhood and their grandparents and their culture. And so even when we say, look, this is just a widget or this is just good storytelling, it, it is what we consider a good widget or a good storytelling based on what has been established already. What's I, the foundation? I think, I think the problem. That's a good point. The problem. The problem with that, however, uh, is that from from the woke ideology standpoint, this is a good product because the lead character is black. Mm -hmm. This is something you should like because there's a gay character in there. That's that's the that's the angle of attack that they take. Yeah. And if you don't and like, think, and it doesn't have anything to do with the craft of, of the storytelling or the entertainment value of it, it's the it's the politics of it. Well, and what I would say, where she talked about, uh, and I think it's a good point about how this will evolve. You know, most of those things in our lives, most of the, you know, gay people we know, most of the racial stuff, are subtleties. You know, uh -huh. yeah. and most of us are okay with that. Well, when you set out to make a woke program or whatever it's no longer subtle 
Right. And it's often no longer right. comfortable in a way that we're comfortable with. So I, I no, I agree completely. All of this is evolving and it will change. But right now it is, it's a polarizing issue. And so if Disney wants to come out and be strong that way, it's fine, but it is going to cost them some people. I mean, it is going to cost them some customers. Um, whether that's a long-term thing or not, I don't know. No. All right. Well, we will we will leave it at that. And yeah. uh, it was a good discussion today. Thanks very much for all of you who are in the chat talking about uh, everything that we dealt with today. It's it's good. And and I think that there's value to the conversation because, you know, if people sit there and say, well, I like this product because it's woke. OK, fine. You're allowed to. And I don't like it because it's woke. You should be allowed to say that too. So yeah, it it's like it is. It is a constantly. It's it's a constant state of flux, I guess. And we'll see. You know, it's like uh, it's like Dan says earlier. You know, the proof is in the pudding. And yeah, if it sells, if it sells, it's working. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily bother me, but if it bogs down the story, then it doesn't. Yeah, and uh, and so and far some of it's not selling. So <laughs> we'll, I, we'll I did want to make one further comment about yeah. the ESG stuff. I believe the country there was one country that had an ESG rating of ninety eight percent. The U.S. is around seventy, and it was Sri Lanka. So interesting so point. Yeah, not, so, not a good one. Not a good yeah. one. Yeah, uh, not so, a good one. Yeah, it, you know, I, I say was Sri Lanka because I don't think the country exists as of today. Right, so. right, and I yeah, it, it, of course there's there's just you know there's causation and correlation, right? There's uh, yes. one one may not have anything to do with the other, but <clears throat> yeah, well, it, cutting the food supply back forty uh, percent is uh, not a, usually a good thing. So <laughs> that uh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that that. Uh, that that was the case and and yeah. and it yeah, goes yeah, back they, to they, what the media tells you and what the media doesn't tell you because how many i wonder how many people even know what's been going on in sri lanka not many it's getting very little coverage yeah yeah all right well gentlemen thanks very much for uh the discussion today spending some time and and i want to also publicly say thank you for adjusting your schedules to to bounce around all of the different things because normally we're supposed to do this the first monday of the month and it didn't quite happen and then we had to bounce around and and make room for uh for mewish uh nayat yesterday so yeah Thanks for being flexible, guys. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you in the chat for uh, for being here. Uh, don't forget, you can leave us a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com if you've got a topic you'd like to suggest or a guest you think we should invite to the program. And uh, we will do this all again tomorrow. Uh, reminder, we do have a brand new H2O podcast that's out there right now discussing the career of Nicolas Cage. And then on uh, tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, we've got another deep dive into the Ranker Pit. Uh, some of us have looked at the fan edit of Kenobi. <clears throat> we'll be talking about that a little bit and some other Star Wars things because they're doing some revisionist history on The Empire Strikes Back. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that as well. That's coming up tonight. So, uh, in the meantime, you can connect with us on various different social media platforms. If you want to support us financially, there's a PayPal link for that. 
And uh, we will do this all again tomorrow. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.